Welcome to the Deer Society Podcast. Here's your host, Brian Lemke. Hey everybody, welcome to the Deer Society Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. It is getting towards the end of August here and we're getting excited for the season. One of our favorite times of year, we're coming off food plot planting and getting into you know season prep. We're watching deer right now. I'm Brian Lemke, joined by the whole Dukar clan, Mike, JJ, and Chris. Got everybody in the studio today. So going to be talking a lot about just that, deer transitioning, getting ready for hunting season, some prep stuff that we're doing, um, You know, give you some updates on, on how the farms are looking. And uh, that's what we're talking about today. So exciting time of year. Uh, guys, what's what's the hap? We're gonna we're gonna try to keep this one entertaining. We don't want Mike falling asleep on us, so huh. let's uh, let's get into it. I'll start it out. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's that time of transition. It's still really hot up here in Minnesota. We just got done with the food plots, and which is a lot of you know grueling work, especially when it's been a dry season for us. Um, but I've been noticing transition in animal behavior over the last week or so, and. What I mean by that is I'm starting to see the first flocks of geese start to fly. And that tells you it's getting close to fall. And it's cooling down in the mornings and it's all wet on the grass, even though we're in a, in a drought. Of course, I noticed that on the golf course, not so much out on the farm. Um, but the other thing is uh, in my little backyard uh, um, wildlife area, if you will. It's it's kind of a little sanctuary. There's no hunting there, but I put out food plots and stuff like that. And I manage for wildlife just because I enjoy being around it. I've noticed that I'm seeing the little year and a half old bucks start to show up now. And so just this last week or so, so they're running out there. And of course the does are pushing them off and the fawns are kind of freaking out with what's going on and wondering where to go and what to do. Um, the other thing is, is um, the bucks now are starting to transition into acorns. So we're hearing people talk about, oh, I saw these bucks and this and that. And uh, they're actually going into the acorns. You're seeing them more. Um, so it's starting, you know, the, the outdoor shows are starting to happen, you know, those types of things. So it's starting right now. That's what I'm noticing. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, like, <clears throat> it's an interesting time to be running trail cameras because, and, and I feel like we talk about this every single year, you know, you can kind of be in that feast or famine uh, uh, position right now with your trail cameras. Like, there's a lot of guys right now that are getting bucks on trail camera, and it might be super exciting. There's a lot of guys out there that maybe aren't getting bucks on trail camera yet, and it may be discouraging but we're coming into right now this transition phase. So like there's a lot of things happening. Acorns are hitting the ground, like you said. Apples, like we have a great apple crop here this year, uh, it seems like. So, you know, food sources are changing. We talk about summer patterns and and being able to pattern a deer early, but there is this transition phase that's happening. I, I've noticed just on, on my reveals here in the last week, like up until, you know, yesterday, there was a, a week and a half dry spell where there wasn't a lot of activity on there at all, you know, when it came to bucks. Like, and and I had had, you know, cameras out for a while and had bucks on there before. And it's like, where do they go? You know, they, it's not like the food changed that much. But when you think about it, acorns are falling, apples, you know, that kind of thing. And they're transitioning from a habitat standpoint. And then yesterday it's like, oh, bucks are back again. So it'd be interesting to see, like, will they, you know, call that home now? 
you know, how will that change? What will those patterns be like in the coming weeks here before the season? Yeah, one quick thing when you guys were talking, I was just trying to figure out what's kind of going on. Uh, I noticed last the last time we had that big rain, which was about a week ago, that's when we had a lot of our basher groups kind of sliding in, some of the older bucks, the five-year-old buck, um, and just a bunch of deer kind of came in, started working scrapes, sitting in the water holes, kind of seeing what was new for the year on the property. But unlike, you know, you got your bucks kind of back this week, it's been hot, it's, we got 100 degrees coming up the next two days, our bucks are now kind of like disappearing. Um, so I think they're just not moving a lot. Yeah, if you can find the food sources, the beans are getting hammered. Um, we're seeing the edges of the, of the corn with this drought. There's there's a lot of moisture in that corn, actually. Um, yesterday, I was out at the property, and I was just kind of checking some ears, and I bent over one of the stalks, and water just started gushing out of the corn because it sucks in on those leaves. So there's a ton of moisture in the corn, and the deer are really eating the edges of that down pretty good. And then, yeah, the apple trees. Um, a lot of our apple trees didn't produce this year, but the ones that did, there's a lot of traffic around those. Um, I saw plum trees were about as ripe as they get yesterday. I was picking a few few plums just to taste them, give them to the girls, and you'd pull on one and basically the whole tree would just start to rain because they're just right at that maximum um, ripeness right now. So yeah, a lot of the fruits are starting to be pretty ripe and the deer hitting those spots. Um, as far as water, it seems like, I don't know what you're noticing on water right now, but they're not hitting our water tanks real well. Um, but they're really dirty and, and low and we need to go out there and do a little bit of work on that. But yeah, I mean, it's kind of that typical late summer pattern where the bucks are hitting beans, soybeans really hard around here, but or but we're we're seeing them on the corn and, and those apple trees too. Yeah. You know, we don't, you know, on on the property that we're running uh most of our cameras on right now, we don't have um, a ton of water sources there. I, I do have a camera on, on one kind of big farm water, water hole that's there, pond. Yeah, it's more of a cattle pond. Um, there has been a lot of activity there. I wouldn't say that there's a lot, been a lot of buck activity, you know, small bucks or big bucks. There's been a lot of does and fawns and stuff coming in there. Um, but, you know, I, I think this time of year, you know, deer obviously need water. They're, they're getting their moisture maybe from some of their food sources. You know, you, when you have that big temperature change, so you get some dew, you know, in the morning, but they still need those water sources. I feel like, you know, if you have a water hole in the timber and, you know, maybe deer using a lot of those, those more natural, um, you know, kind of creeks where it's low and cool this time of year too, um, for those water sources, I would imagine that, that, you know, those water sources will just continue to pick up, you know, maybe get them cleaned out, put some tabs in. I know Mike's been pushing to get Get those water holes cleaned out, and JJ kind of been against that. What's up with that? Well, because JJ doesn't want me to drive through his beautiful food plots, <laughs> <laughs> and there's something to that too. But uh, yeah, and I just yeah. wanted to, well, we want to time it to where we can go out there, you know, replace solar panels with the cameras, get the SD cards yeah. fresh, fresh, you know, new batteries, kind of do it all at once. If we're gonna do scrape treat or scrape post, rub post, you know, do that yeah, at the same time. Yeah. So kind of just hammer it all instead of you know, slowly plucking away at it and just disturbing. It's hard deer, though, you but... know, cause there, there's so much to do. And, um, yeah, Chris, I mean, you've been helping out. What do you, what are, what are your thoughts on things here? Well, it's almost just kind of a transition phase, I guess, kind of for us hunters as well right now. Um, I've just kind of been noticing just, you know, the thoughts and the mindset you start seeing those first few preseason football games on TV. Uh, good point. Um, 
yeah, like you said, a couple of those cool uh, mornings, just kind of almost like internally, it kind of gets my mind going. Like I think this morning, it was almost kind of a double whammy. I was sitting in the shower and I showered. I was like, oh, you know, might want to start thinking about in a couple of weeks transitioning off my standard body washes and start, you know, prepping and getting the phase in the shower because I like to kind of give it a couple of weeks prior to, you know, the season. We usually start like mid-September. So I usually like September 1st is kind of like my internal clock. Like let's start switching off like the scented stuff. So just going through and starting to think about those initial preps that we got to get going here. We were just talking about um, getting the targets out back here at the new shop and uh, getting our bows in here. That way we can just start practicing with the bows too. So just kind of getting our, our hunting mentality transitioned as well. And along the things of the kind of the food was something that stuck out. And I don't know if it's a little bit of the drought, but I noticed we have a big bean field here when we pull in at the new shop and there was patches when I was parked sitting there just kind of looking over there and like, it's been very dark green, even though it's been drought, you know, the beans have been very dark green all summer. And there's some lighter patches developing in there right now, that lighter green, like, you know, it's not like yellow is coming out quite yet, but you know, could be a little drought, but it's still, you know, getting later August here. So it could be, the beans could be turning here shortly too. Yeah. And what were you guys saying about the golf course? Bucks are hitting. Yeah. Yeah, we were we were at the golf course. Um, actually, we had our men's club championship this weekend, and Chris and I were in the same plate. So there's lots of stories there. Um, I got hit by a ball, and I I hit Chris with a ball, and so there's some <laughs> some good times. Um, <laughs> but anyway, one of the things was is uh, they know you know we're into the deer hunting and whatnot, and the course manager goes, "Oh, Duke, Duke, you should have seen these. There's three big bucks there, and you know he's just going on. He's all excited and." I talked to another guy and he was like, you know, yeah, they were feeding right over here by these sheds. And I looked and that's that big canopy of all these oaks that they got. And the acorns are just, they're, I mean, they'll hit you on the head walking, you know, to go into the clubhouse. So yeah, they're definitely transitioning, you know, onto that. And, and now they're becoming more visible. And then Brian, you, you made a comment, you go, the bucks may be there or, you know, they, you might want them to to stay here or you're not sure if they're going to stay here. Well, my comment on that is all the hard work that you guys are doing to your prepare your land and to make it accessible and make those deer want to come, that's going to make those deer come to your place. That's going to make those deer want to be there not maybe not you know necessarily daylighting during this time of the year when it's hot out like we're talking about but it's going to make them want to come in there and make it their own and it's going to create that competition and if you turn it into this like super type of a, a scenario it can actually be to a situation where and i'm getting a little ahead of myself but it could be a situation where you need to maybe take some does out because that can run them bucks ragged, and if you get a bad uh, winter like we did last year, we lost our, our our two number ones that we would be looking for this year, and we know they're gone. They made it through the season. Everything went well. Well, we created this super hub, and they basically, they were running themselves so hard, the weather just took them out, you know? So it's something to, something to think about, but you can create that with your fruit trees, with your water tanks, and that's why I've been harping on the water tank because... I got my little backyard, Duke's back wild, backyard wildlife thing, you know, and I, I watched that stuff. So I hadn't messed around with my tank at all, and I'd been kind of lazy with it, and I went down there, and was, I was in bad shape, you know, and I, I'm going to go golfing, and I did do nothing with it, and 
it's just my backyard. And finally, it's like, you know what? I got to take care of this. So went down there, cleaned it out, washed it out, put the tabs in to keep all that, um, you know, green stuff from growing in there. And boom, immediately, turkey started showing up. You know what I mean? The the deer were showing up again. And I didn't have any food there for them this year. I was lazy on that too. I didn't, I usually have an annual coming in in the backyard. And then I, I did, uh, what did we do last year out there? Yeah, you got a little bit of lazy. Normally you have clover kind of mixed in. Yeah. Then the thistle took over and now we're back to. Yeah, but now we got it seasons. all prepped and it's starting to come up. And, you know, um, so that'll bring bring the deer back in too. So we've done that with the farm. I've done it in the backyard. And that's why I know we got to get it done out at, at the farm. We got to get that water right because I know it's going to bring them in. And um, we got the food plots in. That's a lot of work. Like JJ said, we got the rub post. There's just so much to do. And it'd be nice to do it all at one shot, but. I don't know that we have the, you know, might have to pluck away at some of it. We'll see. I don't know. Well, I want to hit on some some strategy or discussion there with like, you know, the season being a few weeks out and that work coming up. But before that, I want to just touch on a lot of like kind of sum up what Mike had to say there. So like we do and you hear us talk about it all the time and maybe it even gets repetitive like with food plots or, you know, those type of things with this this season prep. But like put so much time and effort and work into it because it works. Like you guys, they we wouldn't be doing it if, it if it didn't work and we didn't see success over the last however many years, right? That's like, you know, we harp on and talk about planting and food plots and it's not just because there's an illusion product out there. It's because we're taking the time because these things actually work and it's not just the food plots, it's the things that we're doing to sweeten them. We check out the groundwork series. I mean, that it's the, the water holes that go along with them. It's the, the scrape trees or the scent ropes or the, the rubbing post. Um, you know, it's the screens that, that go along with the food plots. It's the access to them. It's where the tree stand is. So it's all these things that work together. And if you can dial those in, yeah, nobody guarantees you a big buck, but all that hard work, it, it, it does work. So definitely check out some of that stuff on YouTube because, you know, I know we harp on it and it sounds maybe repetitive sometimes, but it's because these guys sitting here and myself believe in it, you know? Well, you know, it's repetitive because we are consistently doing it over and over and over and that's what's what's making it successful, you know? It, it works. It really works. And Chris just brought up about how, you know, his brain's starting to click now and get ready, he's going to get into the phase showering. And I use phase all year round, so just because I have access to it and I'm not, you know, have to smell pretty for the girls. But um, I do, I use phase all year round, but it's, now's the time to do that too. So every product, you know, we do, we harp about our products because we develop them, but we develop them for the reason. So now we're talking about getting the bucks in um, your area and get them to transition and want to use it for all the hard work that we've done. And now we're starting to think about the hunting part, but hey, we got that covered too. Scent control, you know, communicating with these deer and the proper tactics that you should use, that you can use, not should use, but that you can use and learn from to help yourself, you know, up the odds. I mean, that's why, you know, if you put the time out there and you just watch JJ, I mean, he's killing big deer every, all the time. He has for over a decade. There's a reason for that. Yeah. And once again, it's per, it's repetitive, but. Yeah, and I think both those make a really good point on it too. I mean, like Brian initially said, I mean, we've been doing food plots for, I don't know, 
probably a decade before we even thought we'd yeah. ever sell a food plot. So it wasn't just something to sell people. And and it's not just like specifically here. I know some places it's got a very key element when it comes to nutrition and it does help us out here. But I mean, we're Southeast of Minnesota. I mean, it's heavy ag field. There's plenty of food. Like we have egg on our property. There's plenty of oak trees. They have the nutrition stuff here. But the way we use them is it's actually, again, just like, you know, using the phase and the scent control, using the deer calling products to, you know, help call and communicate with the deer. The food plots are another tool or a strategy we use to actually help us and be successful during our hunting season. Yeah, that micro plot strategy. Yeah. Well, real quick, if you're following along with the Deer Society podcast, you know we've been doing giveaways the last several podcasts. Um, I want to announce the winner of the last giveaway, which was a bundle of the Illusion Primetime Food Plot System, is Jared Jameson. So congratulations. Uh, make sure to send us a message on either Deer Society or Illusion, and we'll get that Primetime System headed your way. Uh, same thing this week. We're going to give away another Illusion Food Plot System. Uh, we're going to give away a Four Seasons bundle. Um, so... We'll make the keyword four seasons. Uh, send that to us. Send us a message on social media, uh, YouTube, anyway. Send us an email. Anyway, you can get a hold of us. Make sure you send that keyword four seasons and we'll put you in a drawing. And the next podcast, we'll draw another winner. So I want I want to touch it, kind of jump back now. So, you know, here in Minnesota, we have about three weeks left in the season. Um a lot of people out there, including everybody here, still has work that that they would like to get done out in the field. Whether it's putting you know reveals up, or you know uh, trimming tree stands, or filling up water holes, or doesn't matter. There's there's always more work that you can be doing. What JJ, I'll let you start. What's kind of your strategy now and approach? How delicate are you being now that we're getting closer to the season? Like. You know, talk me through that that mindset of are you diving in there and getting that work done because it needs to be done, or are you trying to be more delicate as the season approaches? Well, we're not in a. I think everybody's in a different position, but um, you know, our property and our bucks, like the bachelor groups, are not on our property property necessarily, like some of the bigger ones. Um, food plots aren't in a position where deer are attracted to them yet, so it's more like just dirt fields with little sprouts and things. So I think we got time. I mean. I don't want to be out there when everything's kind of coming to the the prime part of attraction and then doing stands and cameras and blowing things up like we need to do it now these next couple of weeks because the deer aren't really you know honing in on these food plots and water tanks and all that good stuff quite yet so we have a few weeks um to basically you know move around stands cameras rub posts like just try to get that out of the way because our bucks are not there now i know some people maybe somebody to my right maybe maybe not um, maybe already has bucks that are on a pattern that you'd want to hunt. Um, and you don't, you want to be more careful in that situation. So we're in a position, you know, where we hunt the yeah. several properties, like the deer, the big bucks aren't there. So it doesn't bother me to go up there and be a little bit more inclusive and make some changes. But I know every property, every situation is different. You're either on them now or you're going to be on them later on when they're more attracted to the specific property. So, um, I don't have as much concern this year going up no. a few weeks and making some disturbance and do a little bit of work. Yeah, that's a great point because I didn't even think about that. Um, you know, to your point, JJ, Brian may have a big buck pattern or, you know, anybody out there might have a big buck pattern so you can get them early season. We've had that plenty of times. I mean, you've shot deer your first set a couple times um, and filled your tag in Minnesota. We're not in that situation this year, but 
be, you notice we're not frustrated about it though. You know, so you out there, if you're not seeing the box, well, I put the camera, I put my foot plan, I'm not seeing it. No, that's not the way it works. Set up your property. And like Chris talked about, put these strategies together with these micro plots so that you're actually getting these basher groups to come in when you want them to be there, which is during that, you know, that rut time and, and that pre-rut and, and all that stuff. And also even post-rut, you know, keep them coming back. So if you set your property up for that, even though they're not there right out of the gate, that's where they're going to want to be. Unless you blow them out of there, you know, that's where they're going to want to go. That's where they're going to want to be. And we've learned that throughout the decades. We've never had a piece of property that we owned before, what, this is the fifth year now? That we literally had exclusive rights to. Every piece of property we ever hunted, it was either a small chunk where people were also allowed to be on there or the neighbors were right on top of you. And we've had success for, for years and years and years and years and years. So we learned because of that pressure, human pressure, how important it is not to put human pressure on the deer. You get super excited and I know it's hard and you want to go out and you want to go hunt that buck and he's going to show up and you go out there and you blow up your spot before you even get a chance to, to, to be, you know, the spot where that deer wants to be. Um, you know, I'm not saying don't go hunting. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just saying, you know, you have to be smart about it and hunt smart and not hunt hard, I guess has always been my philosophy. Yeah, and we were talking a little bit this morning about setting up blinds in these coming weeks and stands and whatnot. And I think, again, depends on what the situation is. But if you're on a big buck and you're trying to set up a stand to get right on them for, you know, in three, four weeks or a blind or whatnot, we always come back to like looking for weather windows. Can we get a big heavy rain with a lot of wind, like wash out the scent? So just be a little bit more strategic, you know. Um, if you're not on a deer, you could just it doesn't really matter if the storm's coming in. If you're not, if you're anticipating it's a rut hunt or some other situation you're setting up for. But if it's like you want to be ready for opener, like a little bit more tiptoeing around, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, you guys got some, you know, redneck ghillie blinds sitting out there right now. A couple of them that you're going to deploy. You know, what's the strategy look like? Um, you know, JJ and Chris, I know you guys will be kind of heading that up, I'm sure. What's that strategy look like? you know, for you guys in, in deploying them, you know, coming up to the season. Yeah, kind of like what I was saying. So in this in the low-key spots, um, pretty much any time now, we're just going to get them set up. Um, but there's a couple spots where they're maybe tucked in tight or you don't want to give yourself away too much, so it's waiting on some, some rain maybe. How, how much will you tuck those blinds in? Like how much will you try to camouflage them versus not i think it depends on the situation we got that one spot we call captain's corner where we get a lot of brush piled up um we're tucking that in there but other spots like where we were hunting last year in that opening that 60 acre opening basically just a big grass pasture area with some tree lines and we just set it right up out there first week in november um it was aired out so it didn't stink like plastic but um just basically just through right under a tree in the middle of nowhere we had deer next to us every day all day like it they they don't mind those redneck gillies yeah what were some of the blind roads you had last year chris like mm -hmm. i know i got a few crazy ones but 
Yeah, and they they seem to work pretty good, and we'll get another test on that too. With it being a little bit more exposed, we got a new plot, um, secret sleeper close plot that we can slide into, and <laughs> there's really nothing around that besides literally is like one. I don't even know what kind of tree it is, just like a little brush tree, one little shrub, <laughs> one little, <laughs> like, yeah. shrub. like a shrub. And so we'll see how it affects the deer and their pattern right up against that. That'll be interesting. Yeah, but it's again, it's before the deer are even <clears throat> around. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because they're not here for the food and the water quite yet. So it's going to be sitting there for weeks before, you know, if we get it set up now, it's going to be sitting there for weeks before any real mature buck probably even encounters it. Yeah. Chris, what else are you doing kind of this time of year? So you mentioned, you know, the phase starting to make that transition as, as far as, you know, prep, and I'm sure we can do a whole podcast on this, but like, what else are you thinking about this time of year? you know, to start getting ready for the season. And what are you seeing from other people? You know, you're, you're kind of the, the man behind the scenes that's, that's handling all the strings from the, the production operation, you know, product side of things. Are you starting to see that, that pick up? And what would you recommend that people kind of start doing to prep for their season? Yeah, it's kind of that time of year. Um, obviously, it's not full swing, right? Because that's you know, pretty much the heart of that is kicking in in you know late October, November. That's just when nationwide it's just full on frenzy. It seems like out there and reflects with everything we do here. Um, obviously, we're busy. We're a little bit on the front end of things, you know, getting prepared for that part. But just feedback and just seeing how things are going, you know, with stuff outside of here. Um, you know, it's starting to pick up a little bit. We're starting to see things. We're like, okay, yep. So people are starting to think about it. They're they're out there, they're in the stores, they're grabbing a few things here and there, they're getting that. Kind of like I said, you know, you just kind of also get that little thought because something just kind of gives you that feel or that reminder, like, okay, yeah, hunting, you know, we're just a few weeks out. So we're starting to see those little bit of pickups. Um, yeah, I got it kind of so earlier, Chris was saying he was in the shower and thinking about starting to switch to phase and my mindset's kind of starting to get there too. Um, my wife bought some stain defender that a different brand than we'd been using and I could like I can smell it a mile away. <laughs> and I said, well, you better be, you run out of that in the next week because that's going to be gone. Like there's going to be no more of this certain product around the house. Um, so my mindset set starting to go there too. And I'm thinking, you know, should I just wash my stuff now and go hang it out for the next three weeks, like outside somewhere? Or should I do, you know, some bin washing with phase and then just go hang them out outside for the next three, four weeks? Um, so just trying to, yeah, starting to think about that too. And Maybe I should switch in the shower to the the phase body wash and shampoos and stuff. Um, but yeah, starting to think about getting my gear ready and airing it out. I know you guys are actually going hunting, uh, elk hunting pretty soon, so you probably already have your gear kind of ready to rock. But yeah, it's it's getting there. Yeah, you know that that actually can be a, a tough transition. I actually will take different gear out west with me than I'm gonna than I'm not with at home. So like, you know. Just different gears needed out there, you know, hunting Western versus Midwest whitetails. But even if there was an overlap there, I try not to make that overlap too much. Like, because we're going to be gone and then be back kind of right before the season kicks in, like, I have to start getting my whitetail stuff prepped early. And it's hard. Like, scent control in the West, like, in hunting elk is hard. We're going to Nevada. It's hot. Like, 105 degrees. Like, you're sweating and you're going to sweat. And we don't have a washer. We don't have a dryer. Like, you have a certain amount of clothes. So you're doing as much as you can from a scent control standpoint, also using the wind a lot. But like those clothes, like 
it, it scares me to even bring them back and try to get them washed, you know, two days before I might go sit in the whitetail woods. So like for me, I'm not only getting clothes ready for that, like I'm getting my whitetail stuff ready right now so that I know when I come home and that stuff's going to be clean, ready to go and ready to hit the woods. So kind of a, a double-edged uh, approach there. Yeah, it's kind of a different dynamic out there for sure. Um, but like when it comes to the Midwest where we're at, um, to me, you really have to put a lot of effort and thought into your scent control. And if you don't do that at a high level, you're going to be very limited on your success. And the thing of it is, is you don't even realize it's happening to you most of the time. Because if those deer are smelling you before they even come within sight, you'll never know. And you'll just think, oh, there's nothing here and there's nothing happening. But that's not necessarily the case, you know. So what I do is I have, now that the, you know, we're empty nested, so I got two extra bedrooms downstairs that these two used to live in. And so I took one of them and that room is strictly my closet for all of my gear. And when I say gear, I mean everything, my black rack, my deer call, my clothes, my crossbows, everything. And so that sits in that room when, when, the, when the season starts. And I got three set, well, it depends on the, you know, the time of the year, but I got three sets minimum of the undergarments, you know, socks and, and, you know, the, the pant and the shirt and, and, and that type of thing. So I got three sets of that. I have all of my towels. I have all that stuff washed up in phase and it sits down there. And if I need to, I can even do an ozonic in there every now and then if I, I feel like some contamination from, Maybe we had, you know, the, the in-laws over and we had a, you know, football party or something down in the basement. I'll make sure I close that door, but I might run the Ozonics in there for a day or two. I mean, that's how anal I get about it. But then when the season starts, now that's the stuff that I store that I can't have outside. When the season gets going, it's like JJ said, I got a deck and I got a concrete platform underneath that. And it's not enclosed down there. So I put all my tubs out there so that the, the gear doesn't get wet, and they're not airtight tubs. They're tubs that allow breathing, okay, because I don't want that plasticky encased smell to it. And then I use those these uh, uh, H2 odor sponges. I know we, do, we don't talk about them much because um, I don't know why we don't talk about them much, but we use them all the time. I use them for everything, and I make sure they're in my tub, I make sure that they're in my uh, my bow cases and definitely in my boots at all times. And it sucks out the moisture and it sucks out the odor molecules. So it's kind of refreshing, sterilizing as we go. So then when I know I'm going to go hunt, I'll take out the clothing that I know I'm going to be using and I'll hang it on a line because I got <laughs> a line down there hanging between the posts from the deck. And so I'll hang them out, let them get fresh air on it when I know I'm going to get out hunting and then I got the other stuff just kind of curing outside in those tubs that do have air coming in and, and out. You keep the lid open in the tubs. Yes, I crack it open. I, I open it and I kind of like move it off to the side and then I stack them on top so they don't blow away. Um, so I got like a two or three tier thing, but there's air able to get in there. And and then I wash and I, you know, I keep the old clothes in, in a pile. And when I go to wash, I make sure that we run two loads of phase through the washers before I put my clothes and my towels in there. So she'll wash our regular clothes with phase for, you know, two full loads and then I'll do mine. 
and then dry it and then boom, immediately, as soon as you get it out of that laundry room because you got all them soap smells and everything in there, as soon as that dryer's done, you hit it, you throw it in the tubs, you get it downstairs and then you start your process. So that's how important it is to me and wiping down that equipment. You know, we're, we're self-filming, so we got, well, we just got lots of equipment. You wipe it all down, all the equipment, you wipe it down. Yeah, I think some of those uh, some of those things that you don't think about are are what could get you busted sometimes. I know JJ, you mentioned like I think it was last year, like gloves. You know, gloves are a big one. You know, you, and you don't think about them like you may, might think about your your undergarments or your jacket or something like that. Even like on our cameras, like we have certain straps on there, certain like leather grips or handles. Like, man. I just thought about that. Like, I'm going to take one of those cameras out to Nevada. I guarantee there's going to be lots of scent and sweat on there. Like, that's going to have to be wiped down before you go out in the field. I feel like those little details, your hat, those are the things that sometimes get overlooked and can get you busted in the end. Yeah, we should uh, think about when our full scent control podcast is because now you get my yeah. mind going. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, I was going to think about that. I know last year we talked about it, and I'll just hit one point. Another thing I'm gonna be doing here is kind of doing that full washer dryer cleanse. Um, and I do it with a, a load of whites with bleach on the first one, kind of kill everything, towels and things like that. Then I run another cycle and I looked it up last year and it's um, for the, how to measure everything out, but it was like baking soda and vinegar. And I ran a load of that through too with, you know, could be the same towels and stuff to kind of get the bleach smell out. and sanitize it even more and then another then my third one was phase with those same towels and everything um and after i got through those three loads then everything was just as scent free as possible so it went from kind the, of that what did the vinegar do what's that for i don't know it just kind of seemed like it broke i know because side story my washer broke this year so i learned how to disassemble the washer had it upside down and took it all apart and i could see where the water goes through some of those tubes and channels and you can see kind of the yeah, gunk and stuff gunk, yeah. um i think it just breaks that down a little bit like you know when you descale your coffee maker um it helps with descaling i think or degriming gotcha. i know that i know there's common thing to use on windows and stuff like that yeah. and the bleach kills just kill stuff so you got the bleach kill and stuff and then you're basically de you know get all the grime and stuff out um with that vinegar baking soda combination and then you go back to the phase which is just a um scent free scent control type christian wash you got a dog what do you do for that how do you handle that um well none of my stuff just goes in the same room as him at any given time so he's always just separate from that but i mean so the dog doesn't go in that room then or you keep it in out yeah i mean i guess I'm not sure how pretty well, you got dogs too, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it's, it's one of those things. And it's funny because like, even before I got even more serious about scent control, like growing up, my dad was super anal about scent control and like he, he instilled that for me at a young age. And, uh, we had several dogs growing up and it was like, you went and you got a shower. You like your hunting stuff. Like I, and I keep same at home. Like I keep my hunting stuff completely separate, like where the dog will never be. But it was even like, okay, you showered and maybe you put on like that first clean set of clothes and you were wearing it out of the house. And I can remember my dad, like if the dog came up to him and rubbed against him or like, it was like, oh, sh I got to go shower again or I got to change those clothes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, that it's just something to deal with. Try to, try to minimize that contact. You know, once you, you cleanse your body, 
you know, and get that first set on. Um, it goes back to, and I'm sure we'll talk about it during the, the scent control podcast of, you know, having that, that first layer of scent-free clothing that you put on to maybe go to your stand or not go to your stand, but, you know, travel with, get in your truck with. And then when you're, when you're getting there, you know, you're, you're changing those clothes again, um, different tactics there, but yeah, just, I keep all my stuff separate from where that dog is going to be. Yeah. Yeah, and then kind of relating that back into some field strategy or, or thoughts as we had into early season. I know my mind was thinking back as we were talking here of some early season success or early season hunts and and failures, I guess you'd call them. But we're really dry right now, so we're in a drought. It's hot, like not a lot of moisture in the air. I mean, you see dew in the morning, but it's not a lot. Um, you know, I checked a plot this morning, kind of felt the dirt and it was like there was no moisture in the dirt at all so we're really dry but when it comes to hunting early season when you get when you hunt after some of these you know thunderstorms that roll through or moisture or rain there's just so much more moisture right now in general than there is like in november that scent control is extremely difficult early season compared to like that prime peak rut when moistures are down. So I know sometimes when it, you try to hunt after a, a rainstorm or, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of moisture in the air, it's tough. You can get busted. So you gotta be even more careful on the exact wind you're playing or the, um, speed of the wind to try to blow that scent away so much. Whereas like, I can think, you know, when we are hunting late October into November and there's not a lot of moisture, maybe you didn't have rain or snow for the, the past couple of weeks, like you can, sometimes get away with it you're, where your wind's blowing right at a deer if your scent control is really good and they, they don't even smell you. But right now, early season, like that's super tough. Good yeah. if it's moist out. And you're just going to emit more scent. I mean, it's your tendency yeah, to have hot, hotter temperatures. Sweaty. I mean, like you're wearing thin layers. You can only de-layer so many ways. I mean, I can wear a thin spandexy shirt out to the stand in late October and just be like freezing the whole way and then just get warm once I get my jacket on in the stand and prevent it that way. But I can't, can't delayer any more than I already am when it gets yeah. hot. And there's more leaves on the trees, so it's not like it's a clean, you know, airway where your scent's blowing somewhere. It's swirling, it's bouncing off trees, and it's scent control early season is a different game than scent control mid season. Yeah, to get technical about that, what the the reason one of the reasons for that, what JJ just said, is because there's more moisture in the air, but the odor molecule attaches itself to a water molecule and if it doesn't do that then well that's that's how the deer actually are able to process the smell and humans too but you have that odor molecule attaches itself to a water molecule and that's what allows the olfactory to process it so that they can actually understand what that smell is and then their brain you know does the work and says oh that's an acorn oh that's you know and, and with that being said, you know, you can't be perfect. It's impossible to be perfect. It, it, so if you're trying to be perfect, that's good, but understand that it is impossible to be perfect. And so do your best that you possibly can. Like JJ said, you can get away with it. But what I noticed about the phase more than anything I've ever used in my life is that they may pick up some odd smells Okay, whether it's a chemical smell or whether it's something that you brought in that they don't really know what it is or whatever. But if they don't identify the human portion, you know, that's not going to necessarily blow them out. I've had deer pick up on me downwind tons of times. 
you know, and if it's a blower dough, she's gone because we got a thin dose out this year. So if she's out there, she's gone. That's just a kiss of death for her. So don't do it. I'm warning you, dose. Um, I got a, I got a crossbow. Um, so <laughs> anyway, um, no, the all, the deer will pick up on it and they'll kind of like try to figure out what it is and they'll go through their kind of like, what is that behavior? But they won't leave. And then they'll be like, okay, well, I guess it's okay because nothing bad's happening. So be okay with that too. You know, be okay with that because you can't be perfect, you know, but if you're trying to be perfect, you may get away with that in many situations. Well, I think we can get into a lot more detail and, and really break down the uh, the scent control approach and, and all those dynamics in, in a scent control podcast, which we'll do probably here in the coming weeks for sure. Um, but we're going to wrap this one up. Again, getting into that transition period, deer are doing different things. Um, you know, get out there, get your, get your last minute stuff done, um, depending on where your bucks are at right now. Be careful or get in there and get your stuff done. But, you know, Get your reveals out there, watch your cameras, see what your deer are doing, and kind of start getting ready for the season. It's an exciting time. Um, So thank you for watching. Make sure you subscribe. If you're watching on YouTube, download the free Deer Society app. A lot of the stuff that we talked about, a lot of those strategies, you'll find in videos there, uh, and it's all free. So definitely take advantage of that, and uh, good luck this season. All our sponsors here at Deer Society are partners whose equipment we know we can trust are going to make you more successful and have a better experience in the field. Products like Illusion Systems, maker of the Black Rack, the Extinguisher, and the Phase Body Odor System. Tacticam, Reveal Cell Cameras, 10-Point Crossbows, Onyx Maps, Osseo Gear, Huyman and Big Frig.